0: Well, good morning, gang. Welcome to our Tuesday morning devotion here on the page of Christ hold Fast and also on Epiphany's website and YouTube page. Thanks for joining us today. As we continue to look at the I Am statements of of Jesus, uh, today we're going to be looking at the I Am statement found in John chapter 11. This is quite uh, quite the text, probably pretty familiar to most of you. As a, for the for the most part, probably uh, most of the I Am statements are familiar to you. This is not um, a series of statements that have gone unpreached in the history of the church. There's been quite quite a bit of preaching about this. But this particular story is, um, you know, in the other passages, in most of them, Jesus is sort of teaching, uh, and he just sort of uh, is making statements to crowds about his identity but in in this particular passage, it comes in the midst of a narrative that I think is quite touching. I mean, it's it's a it's really quite the story uh, to read. And so, I don't merely want to read the statement today, but I also I actually want to read the entire passage, which granted is a lot of verses. But I think it's worth it, and I think uh, it it helps us get a sense of how powerful the statement is. So, so we're going to look at John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. The text reads like this. Hold on, let me take a sip of coffee from my 1517 mug, which reminds us that Christ is for you. Well, that's good. I need coffee today. I am feeling a little behind. All right, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to... Awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant t- uh, t- taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him." I'll explain what that means in a little bit. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained in the house. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. The King James, by the way, says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. I think this is a little better rendering. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if I believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. End of reading. Well, obviously, I'm not telling any tales out of school here. We live in a culture that does everything it can to pretend that death doesn't exist. We avoid it and do everything we can to act like it's normal. Of course, uh, it, it's just the it's it's the norm. I read a practical example of this once. Uh, It was the writing on a tombstone. It said, here lies Jamie Smith, wife of Thomas Smith, marble cutter. This monument was erected by her husband as a tribute to her memory and a specimen of this work. Monuments of the same style, $350. We're told by the experts that death is a natural part of the life cycle, and I'm so sick of hearing that, and it's in our movies, and it's in everything, and we just do everything we can to sort of avoid the reality of it. And uh, unfortunately, we've even been sort of given the Bible to help us avoid what death actually is. You know, if people grieve too much, there are some that have used the verse, you know, that Christians should not grieve as others do who have no hope and twisted that to tell you if you grieve too much or if you mourn too much that, you know, that's not truly trusting in the Lord, that's not rejoicing in the Lord. That's not at all what that text means at all. We do grieve. We just don't grieve like those without hope. Uh, we do mourn. We just don't mourn with like those without hope. So, so the reality is, um, as much as our culture is trying to deny and pretend and downplay death, Jesus handles death differently. He doesn't see it as a natural part of the life cycle. He sees it as his enemy. Jesus hates death. He hates it. And the reason Jesus hates death is because he loves people. So today in the story that we've just read, Jesus faces death and in the process shows his love for people in a number of ways. First off, he shows his love in the fact that he waits. And that is a strange statement, but let me flesh it out for you. John tells us that Jesus was sent for by his friends Mary and Martha to let him know that Lazarus was ill It was clear that the sickness was not an ordinary flu, like most of us get, but rather something serious. Or maybe it was an ordinary flu, but back then, of course, that was, without the medicine that we have, was much more threatening. And the sisters are hoping that by letting Jesus know about the sickness before it's too late, that Jesus might be able to come and rescue their brother from death. They really do believe he can do that. After all, Jesus had healed many others. Why wouldn't he come and heal their brother whom he loved dearly? I mean, it made sense. You would expect that the first thing Jesus would do after hearing the request of Mary and Martha is jump up immediately, grab his disciples, head for Bethany, the village where Lazarus was, and you know, make something happen. But instead, something perplexing is told to us. Instead of reacting with worry or panic, we're told that when Jesus heard it, he simply said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. John says, "Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, this is what gets me. Listen to this statement. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. That's a purpose statement connected to the fact that Jesus loved them. Jesus loved them so much that he waited. That's an interesting point, and this is, I believe, the most difficult thing about suffering and death for us to accept. We see the pain and anguish that someone is going through and like Mary and Martha we call out to Jesus for help and instead of coming to the rescue when we think he should come according to our timetable or how we think he should come he doesn't do it always. He says it's for the glory of God that this is happening and then because of his love for Mary and Martha he waits My first response is to say, Jesus, no, no, you don't you don't understand. You don't, he's sick right now, he's dying right now. Why are you waiting? Jesus says, Trust me, it's for the glory of God. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but but we'd worship God now if you came and healed him now. Just come. This is why, of course, the first response of Martha and Mary, both of them, is like, if you had been here, he would still be living, he wouldn't have died. I know you could have done something about it. No doubt they were talking about this. Why isn't the Lord coming? For these two days, it's like, what what is he doing? I thought he cared. But Jesus knows more than we do. And he knows his purposes and his plans far beyond what we can fathom or even imagine. He knows when he's going to act, and he will act one way or another. Whenever he decides to act, it is the best time to act because he is, he is good. Lord, give me more faith to believe that in times of struggle and suffering, in times where I feel keenly aware of the fact that you're making me into a theologian of the cross through suffering rather than through glory. And Jesus does eventually go. He finally gathers his disciples and tells them it's time to go towards Judea. Lazarus has fallen asleep, he says, and he needs to go wake him up. But of course, his disciples don't get what he means at all. I mean, slow to understand always. The disciples think if he's sleeping, you know, that's a good thing. He's resting. <laughs> I, I would have thought the same thing, 100%. But Jesus knows that, of course, Lazarus has, has died, and so he lets them know very plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Now, there are a couple of things that need to be pointed out here. First of all, just because Jesus doesn't come when we expect him to doesn't mean he won't come. That's reaffirmed for us here. He does come. He does have a plan, and even if it seems to make no sense, it, it is completely sensical in the divine scheme of things. And so Jesus does and will go to where Lazarus and his family are at. But the second thing about this this coming is we have to realize, according to John, that this is the last time in John's gospel that Jesus will go down to Jerusalem. So as he's heading down to deal with Lazarus, he is also keenly aware that he is now heading toward his own death. And his disciples seem to know that that could be the case. That's, that's why they, they respond when he says, we're going to go down there. Hey, don't you realize there were some Jews that were after you there? And yet he still goes. And so Thomas looks at the rest of the guys, quote unquote, doubting Thomas, by the way, though, you know, Thomas, who gets a bad rap for being a doubter. He says, let us go die with him. Thomas is, I mean, fiercely loyal right here. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die with you if that's what needs to happen. Of course, when the time comes, they all flee. But at least at this moment, Thomas was filled with faith, folks. And I and I always think that the whole doubting Thomas thing is way overplayed. I think he's a pretty pretty average fella, if you ask me. All right. Secondly, how does Jesus show his love to people through this story? Well, Jesus' love promises. That's the second way. He shows his love through his promises. So we put ourselves in the shoes of Martha and and her sister Mary. Lazarus has now been dead four days. In Jewish thought, when someone was dead for four days, that meant that there was no chance of any coming back to life at all in their minds. That was just the way they were trained to think about this. There was no chance that he was just sick anymore. Lazarus is dead, dead, dead. And everyone in the community and outside the community has gathered around Martha and Mary to grieve with them, to mourn with them. They know it. And here comes Jesus. What good could he be now, we might think. But Martha doesn't seem to think anything like that at all. Martha comes to him with, a, um, I think, something like a prayer. She says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What an honest statement. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I think this is a wonderful confession of faith. Jesus is four days late, and yet Martha knows her Lord and she still trusts that he can do something about this impossible problem. She trusts in his promises to her even if she doesn't understand the promises. And What is Jesus's first response to this troubled woman's great faith? Martha your brother will rise again. Now Martha thinks that she is simply that he is simply reminding her of a general theological truth accepted by Jews of the day which is that there will be a resurrection on the last day. I know that he'll rise again then. And Jesus makes a loving promise to her then that she doesn't quite understand. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is the essence of the Christian life. God, in his love for us, gives us promises to hang on to, to give us hope and to build faith in us. Jesus promises that He will raise Lazarus from the dead. He promises that all who believe in Him, though they die, yet, they, yet shall they live. He promises that He fixes things and will fix things. And this is what faith clings to. Clings to the hope that what we experience here is not the final word. I love this quote from the great writer, Dostoevsky, who says, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man, that in the world's finale at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify what has happened. And so we confess with the Apostle Paul from the book of Romans, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so Jesus concludes his conversation with Mary by asking her if she believes him. She's hanging on to his promise that he will raise Lazarus from the dead. And Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Translation, I believe that you can do anything you say you're going to do. I believe the promise that is faith. Thirdly, Jesus's love empathizes. I think This section of the passage is my favorite section of the entire Gospel of John. This is a really big one. Jesus' empathy. Martha's sister Mary is still back in the house morning. She's told Jesus has come, and that he wants to see her, and she goes racing out to him. And she seems to be, at this point, the more emotional of the two. She rises quickly, goes out to see him. She runs to him. Crowd of people follow her. First thing she does, she falls at his feet and weeps, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's broken, and everyone else around her is broken. They are all crying and in deep pain over the loss of Lazarus, and she knows that he could have healed him. It's not supposed to be like this, Jesus. It's not supposed to be like this. It was uh, Christmas Day, 2006, when my family got the phone call that my uncle Bob had died in the hospital, or had been in the hospital for a few weeks now, and it was clear that his condition was deteriorating. Uh, I had been in Minnesota studying in seminary and had just come down for the the holidays, so i hadn't I hadn't been a part of any of the turmoil and uh, difficulty that my family was facing at the time. But needless to say, it was just it was pretty terrible. Not long before, I mean, just really a few weeks earlier, my Uncle Bob seemed to be in great health. He was in great shape. He had a great job, a great family. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it was discovered that he had cancer. He went in for treatment, but it didn't take long before my family realized he was only getting worse. He didn't wake up immediately. Pretty soon, he was put on a respirator, and there seemed to be nothing the doctors could do. And an infection had developed and spread throughout his body, and it was impossible to fight it off. And we knew, we knew that Christmas that he was, he was dying. So we got the call that day that tonight would be the last time any of us would be able to see him alive. My father, my brother, and I loaded up in the car. We went and picked up my grandparents, his, my uncle's parents, and in so many words told them this would be the last time that they would see their boy alive. And I watched as each person in my family said goodbye to to Bob. I, of course, said goodbye to him, too. As we were walking out, no one knew what to say. Everyone was in complete and utter shock. I was walking next to my grandmother, and she looked at me. She grabbed me and said, It's not supposed to be like this. This isn't the way this is supposed to happen. I was a seminary student. I was, you know, part of your training in seminary is to is to figure out to some extent how you comfort those who are grieving and mourning and how you minister to them. But at that moment I was just her grandson. And frankly, I didn't have slick answers. I st- I still don't have slick answers. But all I said to her was, "You're right, grandma." it's not supposed to be like this. Death isn't supposed to happen in this world. God didn't create it this way. This is something of the devil. That's what death is. And so what is Jesus' reaction to the weeping crowd at the death of their loved one? What is Jesus' response at the death of our loved ones? John says, Jesus... When he saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Let's just do a little excavation into the Greek here, because I think it illuminates this passage in ways that, well, frankly, brings out the power of it. He was deeply moved in spirit. According to Rogers and Rogers, experts in the Greek language, this literally means to to snort as an expression of anger, to be moved with the deepest possible emotions, to express violent displeasure. Can you get any more vivid in imagery? To be greatly troubled literally means he was shaking, to be so disturbed that he can't contain his body. And, of course... Jesus wept means he burst into tears. How does Jesus react towards the death that we face in this world? He empathizes. He hates it. He's angry at it. He loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha and the people so much that he couldn't stand seeing the pain that death had brought upon his world, that sin had brought upon his world. Now keep in mind, of course, he knows exactly what he's going to do about Lazarus at this point. He knows what's going to happen. He's going to raise him from the dead, and yet he still feels with them the pain and suffering they are going through because he loves them. Finally, Jesus' love gives life. In verse 38, we're told that Jesus came to where death was, at the tomb. He has some people remove the stone. It's always been interesting to me that Jesus has someone else remove the stone. He certainly could have removed the stone with one word of his mouth. Why? Well, I guess the only reason I can figure is that Jesus really likes letting others participate in his work of redemption in life as well. There's a sense in which those who remove the stone are, stone are sort of like the church today. It appears that Martha still doesn't quite understand what Jesus is going to do as she warns him. Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God, Jesus says. And here's where Jesus shows to the crowd, to us, to everyone, that he really is Lord of heaven and earth and of everything. Jesus prays to the Father to prove that He is approved by the Father, and then it happens. The powerful words of Jesus command Lazarus, the dead man, to come out. God is glorified. As John tells us, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And for those who cling to Christ, who are placing their faith in Christ, they will hear those words, come out. They will hear those words, come out. They will be free from what binds them, come out. They will be truly alive, come out. And The reason that will be is because Jesus has defeated death for us on the cross and in his own resurrection. He has been crushed on the cross for your sins, but has been risen from the dead for good, never to be bound by the grave again. As the Apostle Paul says, In triumphant victory and praise, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And as a result, many people come to believe in Jesus here. All right, gang, that is it for today. I hope you were encouraged, and I hope that you are clinging to the promise of life through Jesus Christ, our Lord who is the resurrection and the life. I'll see you next Tuesday. God bless you.